0: Welcome back everyone to Chi Dao's Fireside Chats. I'm Keela, missing Ben today. He's on a flight over to France for ECC. Uh, We have a special guest from UMA Protocol, Chandler. Welcome.
1: Hey Keela, great to be here.
0: Happy to have you. Um, Usually we like to start these off with you telling everybody a little bit about yourself. Who is Chandler?
1: Yeah, great. So I I joined the UMA Protocol uh, fairly recently, but come from a background of working um, for centralized crypto exchanges. I worked for a company called Luno, which targeted pretty much like the emerging market space. So think of Coinbase, but just emerging market space and spent a bit of time growing there. In fact, I got it was my first gig for a while. Um, And yeah, so I'm. Based in South Africa at the moment, and um, yeah, been been working for the Uma Protocol from the beginning of this year, and kind of just been been enjoying most of the DeFi space recently.
0: Okay, what really sparked your interest in in crypto or blockchain in general?
1: It happened a little while, like into into like when I was at university or, or college, when. I'd basically um, started a, a mathematics degree that turned into a computer science degree and realized I wouldn't be a very good dev because paying some paying me for my skill would be terrible. And so I quickly positioned, uh, pivoted um, to economics. And I mean, like, even if you're a terrible dev, you pick up quite a bit of, like, computer science and cryptographic stuff. And the maths behind um, cryptography was was pretty intriguing to me. And then I, you know, went into economics and crypto is nothing more than just a combination of maths and and economics Mm -hmm. in a probably the most elegant way. And so it was like then the most natural way for me to jump into the space and kind of yeah, been here ever since.
0: What was jumping into the space like? Because I know you just mentioned that you're you're in South Africa. Um I'm I'm assuming that you went to university or college in South Africa as well. Was Correct. it difficult to hop into this space? Was it um, what was that like?
1: Yeah, it was. It was probably the 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 best gamble I ever did um, because everyone told me at the time, bad space to be in. You're you're you know you're not going to have a job in six months. Mm. Um, you're you're working for a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the idea of crypto was still extremely, like, new and, and not really well known. And so once, like, you know, once I I joined, it I joined a very, at the time, a very small startup. It was less than, like, 20 people. And, I mean, it's the same kind of, like, discussion as if somebody were to start, uh, you know, at a Kraken or a Binance when it was less than 20 people. And if you look at how those companies scaled, it's it's, like... Get, yeah, getting into the space versus where it ended up was like ten x or one hundred x more than anyone ever imagined. So yeah, getting into the space was quite nerve wracking in the beginning. But I mean, I am young; I can take risks. Right. I can I can be a bit like loose and wild. And um, I think the favorite part about it it annoyed every single person that I knew. So for, for for like a side tangential point, I come from a family of like bankers and central bankers.
0: Right? Oh wow okay
1: yeah. so like old school like old school money um yeah. from like yeah you know, old school financier guys and there's me trying to be a um uh like the the central bank of the future in a decentralized way and it annoyed them and i, I kind of took a little bit of pride in that
0: okay oh i love that i love that so that made uh you yeah, family dinners really interesting yeah okay I'm in the future exactly what what advice would you give somebody who may be a little hesitant to get into the space or they're, they're a little worried like is do you have any any nuggets of advice
1: yeah any new space that you, you that you jump into will have an enormous amount of noise i mean think of the dot com generation when thousands of different companies were 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 uh, like popping up because there was this you know, a lot of hype around that. The same thing's actually happening in the DeFi and crypto space. We got a lot of noise uh, cutting through the, um, through to like get your attention and attract talent and and be the next big hotshot company that comes out of it. So, so the first one is like cut through that noise and realize that even if you choose and like sink your teeth into one startup or another company and it ends up failing, it doesn't mean the industry is failing. It's just that that's the natural progression of an industry where bad ideas should die and the good ideas should succeed. And and even if you do end up um, not being part of, like, a successful startup, that that is by no stretch of the imagination, like, a, a reflection of the potential <clears throat> that the industry holds. The other bit of information that I'd kind of suggest as, like, a maybe a more positive forward-looking one is that, like, The industry is just starting. We don't even know the size of the pie, right? We don't know what, like, use cases are going to happen. This is, like, a brand-new industry that's starting out from scratch, and there is, like, so much of the pie that hasn't even been, like, created, let alone, like, like taken market share. So we look at, like, I don't know, some of the top DeFi players and the top um, crypto exchanges in the world, and we think, okay, cool, the industry is saturated. Let's not target that. That's probably not the right way to look at it. You should probably look at what they're not doing because there are still enormous amounts of value that you can like create and, mm-hmm. and, and be part of if you just see what they're not doing and, and capitalize on that.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. Perfect. And so um, let's, let's switch gears into Uma. You're with, you're with Uma um, protocol right now. give, Give the audience a little intro into what Uma is, uh, from two different perspectives. One, if you're talking to a DeFi guru, and then secondly, somebody who's just entering the space.
1: Cool. So, from a DeFi guru space, is Uma really makes like the ability to transfer risk amongst um, amongst users a lot easier to manage than than like ever before. And what do I mean by risk, right? If you have a portfolio of a bunch of assets, you might want to have like downside protection. You might want to, um, you know, not be so keen on, on going to the moon. Instead, you just kind of want to protect your value that you have. Mm-hmm. Whereas another person on the other side doesn't really care about if it goes to zero, he's just more interested in the idea of it going to the moon. And so, the, these two traders are on either sides of a trade where one wants to lever up on some risk and one wants to lever down. And that is how traditional financial markets work, right? And we make that possibility of creating financial primitives that allow for anyone in a decentralized way without legal contracts or lawyers go into um, legally binding uh, trade and enforced trades with with one another, where you are confident that the other person will hold up. And like, if you think about like traditional finance, if I if you and I, Akila, go into like a deal now, where I'll say, all right, I'll I'll you know this just take a standard like call option. I'll sell this to you in the future at a given price. If it's above the price, you make money. If it's below the price, it expires worthless. Yeah. The only way that you can enforce that with me. Um, in the traditional financial world is if we have like lawyers that can handle that. But mm-hmm. in DeFi, we don't. We have mm-hmm. smart contracts that do that. And so you basically have just written a legal financial contract where one counterparty is held to the terms of the deal without ever having a middleman in, in, involved. And so like we make that possibility using financial primitives um, really easy and simple for users to make of. Awesome.
0: And now for the person just entering into the space.
1: Yeah, so Uma, is not a, a novice friendly um, <laughs> protocol specifically for the reason that it's it's not that it's hard to understand. It's just that the, the concepts of um, of like financial engineering and financial legal contract mm-hmm. is somewhat of a, an advanced topic but but for an average person if you kind of want to know what we do like at Uma is that we we, we launch um we we make synthetic assets easy to create got gotcha. you got gotcha. you
0: who is your ideal user at Uma our
1: our ideal user changes depending on on kind of the product type that we're creating mm-hmm. at at any given point in time so like what we, we spend a lot of time is looking at what what the, the the DeFi space is and what what are some of the tools that some of the DeFi space needs and and right now I, I would classify that as a group of DAOs that have basically just like a ninety five percent of the balance sheet that these DAOs have all in their native token. Yeah. And if you think about like all the financial principles, that's like the, the worst idea. It's undiversified. You only have one risk profile. You you can't like, you, you're you're also restricted on just selling the tokens because that's that's a bad idea. So these DAOs want to be able to utilize that balance sheet. They want to be able to uh, raise funding and they want to be able to also um, earn a yield on it. Because I mean, most of the time they send tokens out for other people to earn yield. But you should also earn yield on that asset yourself as a DAO, right? And then the other element is that you want to diversify that um, that balance sheet so that you're not totally exposed to, to one particular token price movement. And so we're creating a bunch of products that allow DAOs to exchange tokens with investors, with uh, community members, with um, other DAOs, in, in neat ways. And we kind of have two mainstream products that work in that space. Um, one of them being our range bonds, uh, which is, which is we can kind of go into that and maybe a little bit later. And the other one is a KPI option, which is a bit more community focused that allows DAOs to tie rewards with what the DAO wants to achieve.
0: Okay, let's dive into that one. Let's dive into the KPI options a little bit. So um, what... What type of what type of incentives or t- what type of KPIs do you usually see DAOs throwing out there?
1: So a KPI, and and just for anyone that isn't quite aware of what that, what a KPI means in the real world, it's just a key performance indicator, and it, it's it's a bit more of like a business speak term for just like what is the most important thing that this DAO measures itself by, and. Some DAOs like a like an exchange might think that um, total value traded, like how much liquidity gets traded on their on their uh, protocol, that that's a good measure of of the health of that particular protocol. Another DAO, for example, might be um, uh, like an Aave that that needs to lock up a lot of collateral to be able to like you know create a lending market. Yep. So. Total value lock might be the metric that you want to use. Um, another DAO, let's say for example, um, a, a DAO like UMA that's not very particularly uh, worried about how much collateral we lock up, but more how many protocols use the UMA protocol, like how many developers are developing on us. Yeah. Um, so we might worry about like the number of integrations or the number of users of these of these protocols or sorry of these products. And so. Choosing that metric really matters on, on what the, the DAOs really like interested in, in, in wanting to kind of measure. Once you have a measure of that, you can then create um, a reward scheme that locks up collateral. And this collateral is entitled to anyone that the DAO thinks has uh, an ability to move the needle for them. So whether it be the community, partners, partners, um, uh, you know anyone like let's take an airdrop for example a community mm-hmm. airdrop you want to distribute the tokens to um to to the community that kind of really is what DAOs are made up of is and so you distribute these tokens and, and typically what happened before was that people just immediately sold them mm-hmm. but now with this kpi option they're locked behind this kpi that and so an important distinction that i should make is that these tokens will unlock in the future and when they are in the future they will unlock more rewards if the DAO reaches that KPI at a higher level than it did at a lower level. And what what you've done is you've given a person the incentive that the token that they hold will in future be worth more if they help the DAO reach its goals.
0: That's
1: beautiful. So so this KPI option ends up being quite a a powerful alignment incentive for, for teams to be able to work together in ways that, um, that that's not as kind of perverse as just like airdrops and liquidity mining um, mm-hmm. programs have been, where it's like people just dump the token, and, and once you've earned, once you've earned like you know your two hundred percent APY, you you dump your tokens in that pool, and you jump to the next one.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you're really activating the community behind this behind this goal. Indeed. Oh. I love that you mentioned a couple other um, uh, other people that you can use these with. One was the community, how you can activate them. I know you had mentioned investors as well. How do projects go about using these KPI options in that same way with the investors?
1: So an investor, um, an investor typically wants like some version of upside potential in the project, right? That that's why investors invest in it. They they take all the risk for the downside with um, trading it off for the upside. What what might be useful to understand for KPI options is that that the the delivery of who gets the tokens is really tied into who has the most impact of um, moving the needle for that particular metric that the DAO wants to target. And so, if investors are that, then fine. Investors can kind of, you know, be be the ones that receive the tokens. Maybe it's business connections, maybe it's uh, mm-hmm. partnerships, whatever the investors are really good at. Where, where investors might find more um, uses in the idea of the range bond, and a range bond, just for very brief um, use cases, is an in, is a token that allows a DAO to. Raise funding, like let's say US dollar funding, to be able to pay developers bounties and and kind of run the operations of the DAO without ever having to sell their token, right? Yeah, because they're not allowed to sell the token according yeah. to their their investing schedules, right? But they still need to pay for for developers, and most of the time it's it's it, you don't want to sell the naked raw the the to- the, the token in a, in a raw naked way. You want to be able to sell it in such a way that um allows you to protect against the downside. And so these range bonds work in that way. So from from an investor's perspective, uh we we kind of think that the range bond is a lot more useful than, than something like KPI options.
0: Okay. Got that. Got that. What makes what makes for a bad KPI?
1: That that's a great question because I think almost all of the KPIs that come out have have trade-offs right mm-hmm. um, because in one way you're incentivizing one direction that might trade off on another yeah. or you might incentivize. And, and this is my my favorite part about what K, the the exploration through kpi options are is most dows that i chat to will come to me and say okay tvl is their most valuable um kpi and you go through the process and you realize actually tvl is just a proxy for what like is the underlying true value of what we're, we're giving, right? Because like we incentivize this, we either met the goal, we didn't meet the goal, but through that process, we learned what is actually our DAOs or our team or our project's most valuable like MVP. And that exact experience happened with Uma, where we realized we wanted to do total value locked because we realized that, you know, that was what all the DeFi spaces metrics were, and upon reflection, once we had done our KPI based of TVL, we realized the TVL is a good proxy and we still want to increase our TVL, but it's not the true value of what UMA gives out there into the world. And so the number of integrations, which mm-hmm. if the more integrations you have, the more TVL you get, right? So we, we kind of went one layer below what that specific metric was. And so I don't think there is a bad metric ever, what I think is more valuable is that going through the idea of like testing what is your most valuable metric, you end up finding um, a, a, a lower, like a, a more truthful value of what you, what you actually should be measuring as a team.
0: Got you. Okay. Uh, once you once you figure that out and you push it out to the community, what have you seen? Or have you seen the conversations within the community change?
1: Um, I, I'll speak from like the Uma community perspective because that's the one I probably have the most um, thought on, and and I was like truly blown away by the amount of community engagement we got through this this uh, program. Right, mm-hmm. many of the community members realized they had. Um, aligned incentives with the um, UMA community team and like upon their own just like level of like interest to grow um, their value through these options that they wanted to do projects and bounties with the UMA team that we were like we had never even thought of nor either had capacity to kind of take on and they just did it themselves. there was an aligned incentive in, in many ways that kind of pushed the boundary of what was possible. Like when I, when I say possible, like what I thought was possible for like a community to kind of like galvanize themselves around like self-organization and uh, people that were motivated to kind of like, like help the UMA team achieve its goals. And we then kind of, Pivoted ourselves to help this our community group, which we call the Superhumans, by the way. Um, <laughs> it's a cute name. Um, yeah, um, and which we we help them achieve their goals that they want to do. And so we got out of that experience a community that I I I'm just really proud to be a part of.
0: Okay, that's beautiful. I, I think we've we've definitely seeing what you're what you're talking about through one of your community members it's also a a htl community member he's a chimp um poopster uh he he came into the group chat yeah shout out to poopster Uh, he came into our group chats and he was he was raving about what what those kpi options actually did for your community so um uh, I wasn't in your Discord, but if Poopster said, you know, it completely changed the way the conversations were were happening. Um, I, I think that's fantastic. Um, so now we've we've discussed a little bit about what what Uma does. How does Uma make money, or what's the business model for for Uma?
1: So our our focus very clearly and like which won't change in the near future is we really want to make sure that we build the infrastructure um for for developers to be able to create legal financial contracts on the blockchain Mm. or on ethereum and i say ethereum now but you know we're we're keen on scaling to to multiple chains like we're on polygon at the moment uh we're going to scale to Arbitrum, optimism basically every evm compatible chain we really want to target within the course of the next six to 12 months and past that, you know, maybe even before that, one or two chains that aren't EVM compatible. But basically, UMA's infrastructure is decoupled in a way that we can scale everywhere. And we want to be that infrastructure layer where a person wants to launch a contract, they want to have it being be secured, they wanted to have it legally binding. Legally binding in DeFi just means, like, the smart contract enforces the terms in a way that it's it's tamper-resistant, right? Okay. So we want to be able to create that, and, like, DeFi in itself is nothing more than just the financial contracts that, that you build, right? You trust that the financial um, transaction that you have on Aave, like, upholds those terms because you don't trust Aave, you trust the contract it works on right and and there's some brand reputation around that um but the but the real crux of like what what uma really wants to be is that infrastructure player so our our incentive is to uh, get developers to build on us developers to understand how to work with us um and and for us to kind of reach out to where developers want to build on um i can i see i can see in the chat there's one question around is Umer on polygon question is yes we are on polygon we, um, we launched fairly recently on it and you can create uh, synthetic assets, uh, risk transferring assets, um, launch our contract templates on there and have it be secured by our um, Oracle service. If you want an article on what, how that works, um, I'll, I'll happily share that with you afterwards.
0: okay fantastic and thank you for those questions if you do have questions feel free to to throw them in there we will be looking at them um okay great um so that's the business model um i think that's yeah i think that's fantastic because i mean contracts are i mean contracts are what things in DeFi are built upon and um yeah if if you can help if you can help with that process and help make them more secure i think all in all, it will give more, like more confidence within the space, to, uh, uh, to the users. Um, oh, cool! I guess let's let's dive into, let's dive into what are your thoughts? What excites you the most about the DeFi space at the moment?
1: Oh, geez, that I can I can I can spend the whole <laughs> thirty minutes that we're meant to be together chatting about this one. Uh, but if I had to actually summarize it in, in, in short words, maybe, um, the it, it's so new. Everything is, is kind of, like, being created for the first time. And I kind of want to characterize, and this is my own personal characterization, I want to characterize DeFi as a bunch of, like, smart people that came up with an idea that became billion-dollar ideas very quickly, and now they don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. right and uh, kind of you know the the big DeFi teams like have obviously been like growing and and building up the talent in that but but there is a lot of proof and and kind of proving grounds that these teams need to go through um to make sure they kind of like stand the test of time and part of what what i really want to stop seeing DeFi decentralized finance Mm -hmm. um take take more ownership of is, is handle the financial aspects a lot more, right? I think, I think, um, DeFi could do with a bit more like financial engineering, um, and, and kind of financial primitives, um, a lot of incentivization games that, that like kind of need to come into play. Um, I think the rewards structure at the moment is, um, like kind of liquidity mining and yield farming, um, all of those have ha- had the right intention. But I want to see them mature and grow into more organic type um, reward mechanisms that that have have yeah basically just the, the intended outcome that they were meant to have because um, I think the intention is right the incentive mechanism is wrong
0: gotcha. and
1: I want the DeFi space to learn really quickly on on how to create the right incentive models and then the next part which really really excites me is is seeing those news articles when when some really cool DeFi team that I'm pretty sure all of us on this call here would admire have like a link into the real world of like, you know, because DeFi is sort of it's a it's a microcosm of a microcosm. And then when they break out into like the traditional finance world and, and like do something cool from that. I want to see more of that happen. I want to see it break down its like, you know, this this somewhat siloed wall of what DeFi is as an insular community. Um not you know doing its own thing i wanted to actually hold up to its potential of like shaping what the financial future looks like oh
0: i like that how do you see i mean what do you see the future of, of defi in say south africa
1: yeah so the nice part about that question is that defi what's the future of defi in south africa is the same question as what's the defi around the world right? okay. yeah. like it is it is like that's the beauty of it. Like it's, it transcends boundaries and it transcends like uh, wherever you live, like, you know, killer, you know, I like chatted a little bit before this, we're pretty much on polar opposite ends of the world. And we can exactly. have this conversation, same, same like situation applies for DeFi. What, what I, what I would say to kind of meet more specific to your question is the, the industry in South Africa is very uh, like, there, there are a lot of there's a lot of interest in crypto in South Africa specifically, uh-huh. uh, whether it be trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, on centralized exchanges, uh, and plus all the other altcoins. Um, but there is also this growing interest in in, in DeFi as a participant. Um, there are a few big name players um, in the DeFi space that actually came from South Africa. Um, I wouldn't quite say it's like as popular as many of the other places, but but in terms of like world ranking, I think South Africa is at least top 10, top 15 countries around the world with an interest in crypto and decentralized and finance in general.
0: Gotcha. I think, yeah, even uh, Elon Musk, which I don't know if he's really in DeFi, but <laughs>
1: also uh, from South
0: Africa. What scares you the most about DeFi?
1: Yeah. The hacks, man. Like, the, yeah, I think every, everyone DeFi has, has either been wrecked at least once. Um, and if you haven't, then you're either really lucky or you haven't done enough. Um, so I, I think, I think it goes back to that question around like having, having the right financial engineering implies that you must have the right financial um, incentives to Mm -hmm. kind of show your rewards and and kind of how your products work is what I want to see going into the future. But if you look at like where we are now, that was a problem that we had five years ago, but on the engineering front, right? Mm-hmm. We didn't have like the right engineering tools to like look at bugs. We didn't have the security infrastructure in place to kind of like have like self-reported bugs before contract launch. Nor did we have an audit process. And so, like, where where we are now, and like, so my fear is just the the, you know, it's a bit more like backwards looking, um, but I mean you still have a bunch of talent flowing in that hasn't learned some of the um, the issues that have happened. And so I still see that even though, you know, we've got a lot of, we've done a lot of work to improve the, the, the industry, we're gonna have a couple more uh, big high profile hacks on, on like tiny little bugs that have happened.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's move on to something maybe a little bit uh, lighter. You, yeah. you moved over to Polygon. Um, so how was that experience and what does, what does being on Polygon now, like, allow Uma and Uma users to do that may not have been available on, say, mainnet?
1: Yeah, so being on Polygon is an exciting space to be in. I think layer two in general has a lot of potential to, to really move the needle in just simply making like... Business use cases that were prohibitively like expensive are on Ethereum, um, like now possible, right? And so, so I, like I got a kind of like a trade-off because like the less transactions that you have to do, the more efficient your, your processes become. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you when you have like an outlet like Polygon, where you can experiment and, and kind of be a bit more creative and, and throw you know tens of transactions at at a single. Like process, um, you, you get more creativity but less efficiency, right? So I see I see being on Polygon as a as a way for uh, developers to experiment using UMA's contracts and, and our financial templates um, to to really like create something new, try out new business use cases. I think Ethereum was quite stifling for any new developer to actually like confidently want to launch their product, um, and so. Being on Polygon, Optimism, and like our, our, the rest of our scaling roadmap, it, it allowed developers to push boundaries that we didn't think was possible, but also become more efficient. Um, sorry, more and um, creative at at figuring out ways that that people want to be able to kind of trade tokens, uh, maybe trade them in more structured ways or less structured ways, and so being on Polygon. Uh, basically allows that. Because even right now, even though gas prices are a fraction of what they were a couple of months ago, it, it's still expensive.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, just to send, I wanted to send you like $5. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't yeah. make sense on Ethereum. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, what are your thoughts? What is, what is the future of these scaling solutions look like in your mind?
1: um it's in the word right decentralized finance it'll be decentralized it'll be fragmented it'll be chaotic it'll be um maybe maybe even just a, a little bit like um unstructured for the near i'd probably guess two years i don't see um yeah i don't see the the industry growing in a way that it makes one particular solution like be king of them all I think being on Polygon being the market leader as is will they'll they'll still always be a market leader going forward but that's kind of you know Polygon alleviated the stress of Ethereum but when Ethereum changes there might be other blockchains that have an advantage because they have something else that developers are looking for and and kind of there will be this competitive element where Um, these scaling solutions will will come up with useful and innovative use cases that developers would want to use, and that will actually push the industry in a much more um, uh, forward, like it'll be a a forward-moving energy uh, because competition is naturally good for consumers, it's naturally good for innovation, and it'll it'll naturally allow way more experimentation on, on kind of, what it is that like reaching consensus in a decentralized way would mean. And so I see that like there is still a lot of innovation to happen, which I'm really excited about.
0: Okay. Yeah. It excites me as well. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful space to be in and there's just so much left to, to do. Um, have you been able to take a, take a look at Chidao and what we've got going on.
1: Yeah. So I, yeah, I kind of have, and you like, it's not spoiled too much for, for, for all the users, but uh, you and I have been chatting around like how we can kind of work together between Uma and um, uh, Chidao. And so I, I see what, what like you guys are doing in, in the polygon space and like, The only thing that I would add to like, what, what, what makes me excited is that like everything that you guys are trying to do with, with your protocol is, is kind of aligned with what I want to do with Uma. And that's just like support teams and developers, like doing what it is they're wanting to do. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm keen to work with you guys. It's been fun. so far. Same, same. Um, uh, what what do you think the
0: like the role of stable coins are in DeFi?
1: Yeah. So stablecoins solved the problem of volatility uh in crypto when markets were somewhat illiquid and there wasn't as much capital in them. And they were always cu- the, the problem was that you always wanted to denominate your crypto in dollars or pounds or whatever. Let's just use dollars because they're all stable coins are dollar pegged. And and so the problem of having that stable source of, of value was always terrible when you had to like sell it for like real dollars at a centralized exchange. So alleviating the need to like actually have dollars in a bank account instead you can have a representation of dollars like in a, in a Metamask wallet was like hugely valuable for any DeFi native person to want to be able to um, take a speculative guess or like go long or short. Um, on a particular asset and, and like if dollars was their base value and you sold a token, you were going short the value of the token basically and going long on, on the dollar relative to that. And so it made the, it, it actually was the thing that powered Uniswap and it was the thing that powered, um, many of the, the exchanges out there. So having some version of a dollar or when we say stable, like, you know, stable in, in fiat turns, Value term is, I think, a, a powerful tool for anyone that wants to be able to still maintain a portfolio in dollars. Um, I personally don't have a portfolio in dollars, I count it in ETH. Um, but have that portfolio in dollars, and it'll make any newbie jumping in the space a lot more comfortable with understanding, like, you know, when prices go up, this is what happens. When prices go down, this is what happens relative to dollars.
0: Yeah. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, I know we're we're running running a little bit over over time. I don't want to take take too much of your time here. Um, few few more questions. One is: Do you have an ask for the Polygon community?
1: Yeah. If anyone in the Polygon community is has an idea for. Uh, creating synthetic assets, um, and w- w- synthetic assets is just a way of like transferring risk over time. Um, forward rate agreements, call options, swaps, whatever, whatever financial primitive that you want to use. If you have an idea around that, uh, I'd firstly want to hear it. But mainly, like my question would be generally, what is that? Like, what do you think the Polygon community would want to do between like someone that wants to speculate? Um, on like increasing their risk because they think something's you know, there's potential on there versus a team that wants to, or a person that wants to like manage downside protection. What would those two trade-offs like that's the both ends of the trade. What do you think would be a cool dynamic between um, teams and people and DAOs?
0: Perfect. Should they hit you up on Twitter or go to the UMA discord or
1: hit me up on Twitter and I'll gladly point you in, in the direction for uh, where we can have a, more one-on-one conversation. Um, hitting me up on Twitter might get you to go to our Discord as well. Uh, so it's the UMA Project Discord. Um, we are also UMA Protocol on Twitter in itself. And those would probably be the most um, useful ways to get in touch with us. Awesome.
0: Uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share with uh, the community about yourself, UMA, Any anything?
1: Yeah. So UMA is really excited that to announce that we we had a developer mining program which paid out um, rewards to developers uh, for developing on UMA. Uh, We have recently uh, upgraded the system to be um, more in line with traditional grants programs. And so if you are a team that is developing on Polygon that wants to take advantage of our grants program um, and and kind of a few ideas sparked up in in the specific conversation, uh, reach out to me. I'd be very interested in, in chatting to you about your idea and, and there there might be even a potential of having a grant um, to kind of help support the development team around that.
0: Awesome. I love that. Y- y'all are all about community. Um,
1: you know, community is everything in, in DeFi.
0: It really is. It really is. It's. Um, I, and I think the thing is, is that most people in other industries don't like they're, they're always wowed when they see the amount of, you know, activations that the community actually, uh, has in these DeFi spaces. It's, it's not something that's replicated all over the place. You have it in gaming, you have like strong gaming communities and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, DeFi is, is definitely one of those other ones. Um, who else would you like to see come on to a fireside chat?
1: Yeah. So if, if you haven't had him already, the legend that is the Polygon team uh, for DeFi is Hamza, really big fan of him. Um he he's an amazing person to like just see what he's cultivated so far within the DeFi space. Um and I've always enjoyed his fireside chats or AMAs or just times I get to have um his ear on a call. The other person that I'd be very excited to see is the um, Balancer team. They just launched on uh, Polygon now. Uh, so I'd be excited to hear, you know, some of the the highlights and the lowlights around that experience. Sushi would be the same on the same level. And then I think what would be really cool um, and something that aligns a bit more with Chidao is have, find a, like, the next big up-and-coming project on Polygon that's native to Polygon, who mm-hmm. went, like, and, and launched on Polygon, right? Like, the UMA team is, or well, UMA protocol and many of the other protocols are coming to Polygon from Ethereum. So we were born in Ethereum, and then, like, you know, we're going multi-chain, and that's all like, lovely and well, um, but I'd be interested to in, you know, like, one of the cool new teams that are coming up in Polygon um, and, and chose Polygon as, like, the chain that they're going to launch on
0: awesome i love it yeah in terms of in terms of balancer um i th- think we've got one coming up in august with fernando uh coming up, so we'll uh, we'll let you know about that we'll send you the link um and yes other other polygon polygon projects uh, if you're listening reach out to us um and i think we have a few also coming up that are polygon native um but yeah I really love chatting with you, Chandler. It was it was fantastic. Um, I look forward to seeing what we uh, what we come up with between uh, Uma and Shidao. Um Yeah, really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure being here.
0: Awesome. Well, to the viewers, we'll see you next time. Thank you for watching. Bye bye.